0: Good morning. We'll have two readings this morning. We'll begin with these Proverbs. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. What a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man, who can find? Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. He who pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten and will have wasted your compliments. If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it and you will vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you and he will hate you. Like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works in ruin. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Our second reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us.
1: This is God's word. Let me pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, these proverbs, this passage from 1 John, these are your words recorded for us uh, long, long ago, and yet words that you speak into our world today to us and Lord, we pray that you would humble our hearts, uh, give us understanding minds, give us uh, eyes that can see, ears that can hear, so that we accept these words with the authority that they come with because they are your words. Please change our our minds, change our lives as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're new to us or, or just dropping in, let me explain. We're We're working our way through this Bible book of Proverbs. Uh, by topic at the moment. From chapter 10 in Proverbs onwards, the book consists mostly of one-liners, which generally stand alone rather than relying on neighboring verses for their context. So uh, the most sensible thing for a sermon series in this part of Proverbs seems to be, rather than working through passage by passage as we would with most parts of the Bible, to group the, the Proverbs by topic. And that's why you've got that little sheet printed there in the notice uh, notice sheet so that you're not endlessly flicking uh, between the verses that I'm referring to. And we've looked at things like wealth and speech and friendship last week, pride. This week, love. Uh, not romantic love in particular, but love between people in general. Love that can characterize any relationship, friends, family, relatives, colleagues. Why choose love if you're going to choose topics from Proverbs. Well, for a start, Proverbs has plenty to say about the subject, as you can see by those Proverbs we've gathered there on the, the notice sheet. That's always a sign that it's an important topic that God regards as worthy of our attention. But also it's something all of us are deeply, passionately interested in, whoever we are, wherever we're from, uh, because as we'll see, love is one of our greatest needs, perhaps our, our greatest need. And when love is lacking or damaged or lost, well, that is when we're often most hurt. I did a little Google search for proverbs from around the world, not biblical proverbs, just to illustrate the point that everyone in the world seems to care quite a lot about love. Uh, Maybe some internationals in the congregation would recognize some of these. In China, apparently they say, love is the deepest longing of the heart. For a person to love is as natural as for a sunflower to face the sun. And more negatively, someone who cannot or will not love is their own jailer. In Italy, they say the laws of love are powerful beyond all other laws. In Burundi, they say where there is love, there is no darkness. In Swahili Africa, they say love is a more precious jewel than life. In Japan, they say a person in love mistakes a pimple for a dimple. That one that one doesn't really add to my case, but I thought it was funny. Um, Of course, in English, we say things like love conquers all, love will find a way, love is all you need, love makes the world go round, love lifts us up where we belong, and things like that. Um, In case you think it's just a sappy modern obsession, here's Sophocles from 5th century BC, ancient Greece. He said, one word frees us from all the weight and pain in life. That word is love. Love in its various varieties inspires more songs and poems than just about anything else. If you're a human being, it seems, you care deeply about love. And we'll see in a moment that the book of Proverbs agrees with that. And we've got some headings uh, on the the service sheet which we'll work through. Uh, Those things that I've put on there. Love is what we all really want. Love is faithful. Love is forgiving. Love is elusive. And then we'll fast forward to the other passage, 1 John, to see how crucial it is for us to understand that God is love. So first, love is what we all really want. Proverbs agrees that love is a a deep desire in all of us. Uh, Have a look at uh, chapter 19, verse 22. Uh, What a man, and uh, that's the generic word for human being here, what a man or woman desires is unfailing love. Now, we're all different personalities here this morning. Uh, My guess is that some here this morning would very quickly, readily agree to that. You'd say, yep, I'll I'll happily admit that, Uh, more than anything else in life. I long to be loved by the people around me, the people I I care about. I don't need proverbs to tell me that. There might be others who say, well, I'm not so sure. Um, I quite like my own company. Uh, Other people can be okay at times, I guess, but uh, a lot of the time I find them hard work, mildly irritating, Uh, or maybe you're quite a task-oriented person and prefer to relate to the people around you on the basis of uh, their usefulness or their efficiency rather than something as nebulous and emotional as love. Or you might be someone that says, I've tried to get close to people, but I've been pushed away. And I'm hurt by that. And over time, I've stopped trying to find loving relationships because I need to protect myself from being hurt like that again. And I know there's a longing deep inside me for love. But maybe I'm better off ignoring it and getting on with life as I am, just to protect my heart. If one of those things describes you, Proverbs would say, maybe gently, maybe challengingly, don't deny who you are. Love is what we all really want if we're human beings. To be a human being is to long for loving relationships. In the Bible, as soon as human beings are introduced, in Genesis 1 and 2, it's very clear we're made for loving relationships, vertically and horizontally. Vertically, we're made to be in relationship with the God who made us. We're designed to know him, to experience his love, to love him in return, without that most important dimension of love As we'll talk about at the end, we'll be trying to live without the most essential ingredient of what it means to be human. Sometimes Christians have said to to others, you've you've got a a God-shaped hole in your heart. And it's a rather simplistic, soundbitey way of putting it, but there is truth to that. The relationship we long for the most, whether we realize it or not, is with the God who made us. That's the vertical love that we all want. And then horizontally, we're made to be in relationships with each other as human beings, to know and love one another. We're not designed for a sort of hermit-like existence, being lone rangers, lone wolves hunting without the pack. It's worth saying uh, the monastic movement over the centuries, uh, whatever else it might have got right, got this very wrong. It's, it's not more pleasing to God to hide away in a monastery, separated from people, taking vows of silence and chastity. Almost all the commands in the Bible are about how we relate to people, how we should love one another. So if we're made to love God and love one another, no wonder Proverbs says love is what we really want. So let's flesh that out a bit from some of these Proverbs in practical terms. Look at uh, 1517. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. And similarly, 17 verse 1. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Now, it's easy to read those proverbs and and just agree at face value. Yes, yeah, of course that's true. Uh, The people in our lives are more important than the things we have, like food on the table, luxury food on the table. But I think this is immensely challenging for us. It is much more important that we protect our relationships than that we protect our ability to earn enough to put luxury food on the table. We can easily kid ourselves here. Perhaps if we have families, we slip into thinking that what's best for them is the stuff that we provide, the things we bring home, the quality of life we produce, measured in material terms, the size and the comfort of the house, the quality of the food, the exoticness of the holiday locations. Proverbs seems to be saying, make no mistake, it would be better to lose all of that material stuff than to lose the family that God has given you to love. A year where your quality of life has reduced in material terms, but where your love for others has increased, is a good year and vice versa. A year where your finances and circumstances have improved in physical terms, but where your love for those around you has grown weaker. That is a bad year. Be brutally honest with yourself about this. What do you fear most? Losing your family or your close friends, or losing your possessions? I mean, all your possessions, perhaps, so that you're destitute in inverted commas, but still li- living presumably on government handouts. See, our, our society doesn't help us here. If you said to your colleagues, something gutting's happened, uh, I'm separating from my wife, things are not working out. I imagine you'd get a response something like this. Oh mate, I'm sorry to hear that, let's let's go for a beard, but don't worry, life goes on. Uh, half the people in this firm are divorced. That's a Pretty normal social conversation these days in our society. But what about this one? This would really confuse your colleagues. If you said, I've decided to quit and have a change of careers, Uh, and I've I've taken a job where the work is going to be much, much less fulfilling, Uh, I'll take a massive pay cut, I'll be earning a third to a half of what I've been earning here. We'll have to sell the house and get a, a fairly tiny place, and I've no idea when we'll next be able to afford to have a holiday. Are you mad? What are you talking about? Why would you do that? Well, I figure right now um, what I've got at home is a house full of feasting with strife and a fattened calf with hatred. And I've come to see that a, a meal of vegetables and a dry crust with love is infinitely better than what I've got now. You see, I've realized I'm a human being. Love is what I really want, not stuff that's going to be a pretty weird, awkward conversation with your colleagues. You may not be someone that needs to make a decision like that, but just, just maybe some here should think in those terms. And if you can't imagine ever making that choice on behalf of your family or those around you who you love, something might be wrong. Love is what we all really want. So do what Proverbs says, chapter 3, verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. In other words, make love the reason that you do everything. Don't let love leave you some of the time so that you're motivated by other things. Be more concerned for your relationships with God and with people than for your bank balance. And 2121. Uh, 21. He who pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. You know what? You're actually more likely to prosper, even in this world, if you love people. Companies, it's well known, that treat their customers ruthlessly for the sake of short-term gain uh, tend to see their long-term profit absolutely destroyed. People, similarly, who operate unlovingly very often find life falling apart around them as people desert them. Not always. Proverbs describes only probabilities in this world, but the probabilities in this world turn into definites in the next. Love is what we all really want. It is a mistake to live for something else. Now, much more quickly, I want to draw out three characteristics of love that Proverbs describes to us. Love is faithful, forgiving, and elusive. Uh, Those three things. Love is faithful... We've seen it already in the verses we've looked at, so 19 verse 22, what a man desires is unfailing love, not just love, but love that doesn't fail. Actually, it's just one word in Hebrew, hesed, uh, for those interested in Hebrew, uh, a word that is most often used to describe God's love, in particular the love that makes him determined to faithfully keep his promises. God's hesed, or unfailing love, is the ultimate or perfect love. But our human love for one another should be modelled on it. Hesed is used in Proverbs for human love as well. Uh, so look how often love is combined with faithfulness in Proverbs. We saw it there in 3 verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. It's there in 14.22. Do not uh, those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. 16 verse 6, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. 2028, love and faithfulness, keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. Love and faithfulness, that little partnership is dotted throughout Proverbs. Uh, We looked at friendship in Proverbs a, a couple of months ago and looked at the importance of constancy in friendship, so I won't repeat what's been said there. But the kind of love we all want is faithful love. The spouse that says... In the wedding service, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And then proves it by a lifelong faithfulness. The friend who says, I'll be there for you. And then proves it through thick and thin. A brother or a sister who proves their love for you in the hardest times. 17 verse 17, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Adversity. That is what we want. Faithful love. So that's what we should want to show to others. Faithful love. Love is faithful. Love is forgiving. Uh, Look at some of the verses uh, I've listed there. 10 verse 12. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. 16 verse 6. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. 17 verse 9. He who covers over an offence promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Now look, in order to love a fellow human being, you will need to forgive them. Is there someone in your life who you think you love, but you can't think of anything you've forgiven them for? Then I assume you haven't known them for very long, or you don't know them very well. Uh, Sooner or later, there will be something, big or small, And then there'll be something else. And then if you stick with them, there'll be lots of things. There can be no love between humans without forgiveness. Not for any decent length of time. Without a forgiving love, you just end up with all the negatives in those verses. Dissension. When disagreement between people turns into angry resentment, bitter recriminations vicious backbiting. Without forgiveness, that will just spiral endlessly and tear people apart. Separating close friends. Without forgiveness, no matter how intimate a relationship might feel for a time or how exciting and adventurous a a relationship is or how well you feel as if you clicked with somebody. Without forgiveness, no human relationship can survive. So love is forgiving. Now I don't know if you spotted there's some unusual language in the verses we just read. The language of covering over wrongs in ten verse twelve, and atoning for sin in sixteen six, and covering over offences in seventeen verse nine, and doing that by loving one another. I don't know. Does that surprise you? Uh, if if you're a Christian and you know the Bible, you you will say that only Jesus' death can cover over our offences and can atone for our sins. And so you might be wondering what this kind of language is doing here, talking about our love for one another. Well, it's absolutely right to say that only Jesus' death can cover for sins and atone for them when we're talking about our relationship with God. Jesus' death is what covers our, our, our offenses and atones for our sins. Jesus took Jesus, took uh, God took Jesus to the cross so that he might forgive us. But these verses are talking not so much about our relationship with God, but with each other. And if you and I trust Jesus, he's already covered over our sins and atoned for them. So that doesn't need to be done again. I'm not God, you're not God, and so neither of us needs to die on a cross in order for us to forgive each other. So don't keep a a record of people's sins in your head. Jesus died so that record in God's books can be wiped clean. And if I sin against you, you can choose to hold that sin against me, to start adding to a record of sins one by one. And no doubt you'll find plenty and it'll get very long. And you and I will find it very hard to stay in relationship with one another if, if you do that. Do you bear grudges? Do you remember people's sins against you as if you had a a sort of digital memory card embedded in your brain for that very purpose. Find the button that wipes it. Or an old school way, it probably illustrates it better. Get the tipex out, cover it over. Jesus has done that for you and for me. And so we can choose to emulate what Jesus has done for, for you and for me, to forgive each other in the same way, to cover over our sins. By the way, that is not compromising. It's still right to hate sin. Uh, Chapter 27, verse 5 on your sheet makes that point. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. It is right to challenge sin and exercise judgment on it where Scripture calls for that, whether that's in the family or in the church or in a business or in the nation. That should still happen. But alongside all of that, love by forgiving. Personally wipe that slate clean. And even, at its most extreme in the book of Proverbs, love your enemies. That's what Jesus said, and it's right here in Proverbs as well. Proverbs 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, no one's entirely sure what the burning coals metaphor means. Does it mean that the enemy will be more liable to the the fiery judgment of God because of the way you've treated your enemy well and they've still treated you badly or does it mean that your enemy will be plagued by a burning conscience because you've forgiven them and they'll come to repentance as a result of that either way love is forgiving even to enemies but last point about love love is elusive and this is where proverbs gives us a dose of down to earth realism real love the kind that we all really want that is faithful and forgiving, can be very, very hard to find. Sometimes love is fake. And Proverbs gives us many sad examples of that. 1420, The poor are shunned even by their neighbours, but the rich have many friends. Ah, the fair-weather friend, the fair-weather boyfriend or girlfriend, or, God forbid, the fair-weather husband or wife. Just in it for the perks, the benefits, as long as they last. But even while the riches last, it's not true love, it's fake love. Or 20, verse 6. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man, who can find? The person who promises much in terms of relationship, but delivers very little. The person who wins your confidence and then drops you. Or the romantic player who talks a great game and makes himself sound like the real deal but who really only wants to just pull you in, uh, to pull the wool over over your eyes for as long as he can. Fake love again. Or 23, 6 to 8, what did you make of this? Do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You'll vomit up the little you've eaten, and you'll have wasted your compliments. This person looks generous on the outside, but why is he sharing his delicacies with you? He clearly doesn't want to. Uh, what's his motive? I guess maybe social acceptance by others, looking generous without actually being generous in his heart. Uh, seeking some kind of reputation or status. Trying to impress somebody else by taking you on as a charity case. Gosh, that's pretty ugly, isn't it? Fake love again. Or 26, 28. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. It's easy to enjoy the company of a flatterer. They say nice things that make you feel built up and loved. Their lies don't necessarily feel hurtful. They feel very pleasant. But they are still lies, and they will still hurt. When you discover that the flatterer didn't believe what they were saying, They were just trying to worm their way into your affections for some reason, to get something from you by means of deception. Fake love, again. All those people will desert you when it matters most. 25, 19. Like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. Love is elusive. There is a lot of fake love in the world sometimes it's not uh, it's elusive not because of any particular sinister fakery though just because in a, a fallen world where all of us are sinners it is sometimes just hard to click with people uh, 25 verse 16 if you find honey eat just enough too much of it and you'll vomit in other words verse 17 seldom foot in your uh, set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and he will hate you it is all too rare to Really click with somebody to the extent that you want to spend vast quantities of time with one another. If you find that, treasure it. Uh, For most combinations of two sinners, it's not that easy. So be careful. It's not wise to be too pushy or clingy or needy around somebody if it's not entirely clear that that person wants to spend as much time with you as you do with them. Love is elusive in our fallen world. Even the very best human relationships are imperfect and need constant work. Our longing for love will only ever be met in a very flawed, imperfect way by the people around us. So even the very best friendships, marriages, sometimes lack entire faithfulness, sometimes lack forgiveness. So with all that said and done from Proverbs, we need our final point very, very desperately. If love is what we all really want, and if human love is so elusive, you and I need to know what Proverbs hints at and what 1 John 4 lays out for us in glorious technicolor, that God is love. If you've got 1 John 4 open there, uh, verse 7 to 12, you can see how utterly foundational The love of God is. Let me point you to three aspects of that love in these verses. Love comes from God. Love is defined by God. And love is inspired by God. So verse 7, love comes from God. Uh, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. He is the source of all genuine love in the universe. Every ounce of human love uh, is derived from him, dependent on him, couldn't exist without him. Whatever love we've experienced or seen in others, we owe every inch of it to him. Just as uh, without God there can be no you and me because he made us, without God's love there can be no love between you and me. He makes it all possible. Make no mistake, that desire for love that we can all have, that we talked about it initially, it can only be truly, perfectly met by knowing God's love. Love comes from God. He's the source. Love comes from God. Second, love is defined by God. Verse eight. God is love verse 9 and 10 show us exactly where to look to see God's love defined, the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love, this defines love in other words. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you really want to understand love, to know what truly defines love, don't look at human love. Human love is flawed and derivative at its best. Look at God's love defined for us perfectly, demonstrated at the cross of Jesus. The cross is the act of God in history which fully reveals his love to us. If Proverbs says true love is faithful, where, well, the cross is where God shows himself utterly faithful to his promises to come and forgive and save a sinful people who didn't deserve it. If Proverbs says love is forgiving, well, the cross is Jesus dying as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The cross is what defines love. God's stepping into history to faithfully forgive. We just need to respond to that love. And if the way you need uh, to think about love doesn't yet have the, the cross of Jesus right at the, the center, defining love for you, then you're missing the, the most crucial element of all in understanding love. Lastly, love is inspired by God. Why should we keep trying to love each other in faithfulness and forgiveness, even when that love proves so elusive at times? Well, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's being loved by God that enables us to love each other as we should. Maybe as we close we can illustrate it like this. Human love, you could think of it as like a battery, a little tiny cell. Uh, it's got some charge, but it's weak. It's limited. It needs recharging or it's going to run out. Whether right now your life feels full or empty of love, your resources as a human being are limited They will run out. Your love will be imperfect. But God's love is like a vast power station of love. It is the source of all the mains electricity of love that can power all of us, can recharge our love for each other. So if you're not plugged in, get plugged in. Let's pray. Father, we long for love, we really do, at the bottom of all of our hearts, and we struggle. Father, please forgive us for not showing faithful, forgiving love ourselves. Please uh, show us that our love between one another, our, our human love that is so marred by sin, can never be ultimately fulfilling uh, for, for us, can never meet that deepest need. We pray, Father, that you would help us to see the love of God as Jesus died on the cross and see just how extraordinary, how defining it is. Thank you that when we see the cross, we can truly say, you are love. And we pray that we would learn your love and that would transform our love. For Jesus' sake, amen.